Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 261 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into our conversation after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. In celebration of Black Music Month, This week, I'm joined by Danielle Smith, the former editor-in-chief of Vibe Magazine, R&B editor at Billboard, award-winning journalist, and host of the mega-hit podcast, Black Girl Songbook. Danielle is also the author of the new and highly celebrated book, Shine Bright, a very personal history of Black women and pop. The book is a literary mashup, part biography, part memoir, all while weaving in the history of Black women's contributions to the genre of American pop music. 
During our conversation, we explored the music that has meant the most to Danielle in her lifetime and chatted about how she prioritized her mental health while writing the book. And a quick note about the episode, Danielle and I recorded this conversation the week after our brothers and sisters were killed in the Buffalo grocery store. And so we did get into that a little bit at around the 15 minute mark. So I just wanted to give you a heads up to make sure that you take care of yourself while listening. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TVG in session. Or join us over in the sister circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. I am so excited to chat with you, Danielle. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Oh, my goodness. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So let's get started by talking about when did you decide that it was time to write a book about Black women in pop music? I think it's been in me since the beginning of my career, to be honest with you. I think I've been thinking about it in one way or another throughout the duration of my career, especially as I began to, because I started my career doing live reviews and things like that, like going to concerts. One of my first assignments was going to see Natalie Cole in concert and writing a live review. It was one of the more exciting moments of my life and it sealed the deal for me that I wanted to do what I'm doing right now as a career. But then once I started actually meeting women, meeting Black women who make R&B and pop music and speaking to them about their stories, I always knew that at some point I was going to have to get it all down. Yeah, it feels like there were so many different directions you could have gone, right? I mean, you could have done individual books on like individual people. Like it feels like Mm -hmm. there were lots of different roles you could have taken. How did you kind of finally decide, probably with the help of like your editor, like how to narrow the book? We were able to narrow it down. I mean, we had to narrow it down, honestly, because I just wasn't getting finished. That was the first thing. It was almost logistical. And Chris Jackson, who's my editor at One World, he was like, I think I may have an idea of why you're not finishing. And I was like, well, I was up for anything. I was like, well, what is it if you have a, and if you have an idea? And he said, because if you're just trying to write like an encyclopedic book of profiles about black women and pop music, there is no finishing. Like you could keep writing for your whole life, seven, 10, 15, a hundred other women or people could keep writing their whole life and we still would not be done. He said, but if we talk about this being a personal history, then already we have some parameters. We have a spine. So what I began to do was make choices based on the music that has meant the most to me and my sister over the course of my life and my career, the music that has meant the most to my mother and her sister and the women and the music who meant the most to my late grandmother and her sister. So then we begin to have a story to tell. Yeah, there was such a beautiful weaving of like your personal story with the stories of the artists that you have decided to cover. So I thought that was a very like unique piece of the book. So you start the book with American author and poet Phyllis Wheatley. Why did you feel like it was important to start with her story? Well, one, because I do believe that Phyllis Wheatley is a foundation for Black women in pop. She's our first global superstar. A fact about Phyllis Wheatley, aside from her being like the first published Black poet, wasn't even the United States of America. When she started writing, it was barely the 13 colonies at that time. But once she began to be popular in Massachusetts, she ended up going back across the Atlantic after having been kidnapped and brought over here and sold as a slave to the Wheatley family. She actually went back across the Atlantic, which I don't know if it was freeing for her or if it was more traumatic, but she went over there and she performed her poems. She spoke her poems and she sang her poems for the literary salons of that time. And I was always very much in love with even the idea of Phyllis Wheatley, even before I knew that, just because as a little girl, like, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, there was a reading area in one of the classrooms I was in. And every month, the decorations would change. And then one month, it was Phyllis Wheatley. And I always remember there were like, they tried to make slavery nice. Like they tried to make the Middle Passage 
nice. And God bless Mrs. Black, because that's who it was. But there were like stars up in a sky, dark sky. So you could just imagine, I think, a little girl on the middle passage looking up at the stars, which I'm sure did not happen. Mm. But for me as a little girl, it made me fall in love with her as a human, you know, and not just a poet. And how did the title Shine Bright come about? What does that mean to you? Well, I say in in Shine Bright that I look upon it as a mission statement and also a command. I look upon it as a command. I do. I'm not one that likes to go around commanding stuff on folks, even though it's fun. But that's not how we're supposed to act. And this is therapy for black girls. So I know that we're not supposed to be doing all that kind of commanding. But I am going to make an exception and say, I just command black women to shine bright, shine bright. And it's not just coming from me. One of the songs that so many black girls learn as little girls, we girls, like four, five, six year old girls. If you're in a choir or you go to day camp or anything, you learn that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. We all know that song, Every Little Where I Go, I'm Going to Let It Shine. All the great ones have sung that. All the great Black women vocalists have sung that song. And I can trace the line from that song to Rihanna Fenty saying, Shine Bright Like a Diamond. And... I look at that as the frame. And I think that we forget the glee and the confidence that we felt as little girls singing this little light of mine. I'm going to, you know, we probably had on our Easter dress or our little choir robe, or we were in a row with all our little friends at school or at church. And we felt so good nine times out of 10. And I want us to reclaim some of that energy. So that's where the title came from for me. Hmm. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. You know, you've also written about like your experiences with self-doubt and like really claiming your accomplishments. I mean, there are so many, you know, but I, I think that's really interesting kind of given your command of like shine bright. And so, you know, we all have had our own personal experiences with that. And so I'd love for you to share if you feel comfortable, like your experiences with that and how you've been able to move past that, especially I think with the book, because I, I feel like the book puts you on this stage that is very different than maybe, you know, other um, very cool things that you've done throughout your career? I mean, neither my life nor my career has been any kind of like straight line. I think it's Langston Hughes that said, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. And I don't think I'm special as a Black woman for that to be true. I don't. I think for so many of us, because he was writing about his mother. And so, For so many of us, life for us has not, nor does it continue to be a crystal stare. And as outlined, as gone into really in detail in Shine Bright, I had a very tumultuous childhood. It was violent physically. It was violent spiritually. And I had to make a decision very early on in my life that I was going to become an adult. at probably around the age of 14, I think. And that I was going to have to make a lot of the decisions for myself that others might have made for me. So while I think that made me a very strong little girl, it also infused me with a lot of intense and constant self-doubt and second guessing. Always, even to this moment. I mean, it gets better every year. Every year I get a little bit more free, but it's been difficult. I think it's also been Not easy, but when you can stand up and say, hello, I'm Danielle Smith. I'm the R&B editor at Billboard. Hello, I'm Danielle Smith. I'm the editor at Billboard. Hello, I'm Danielle Smith. I'm the new intern at the San Francisco Bay Guardian. I'm the, hi, I'm Danielle. I'm the editor-in-chief of Vibe. And this is actually the second time that I've been asked to be the editor-in-chief of Vibe. The thing is, you always have that brand attached. You always have that I'm with ESPN. I'm Daniel Smith. And I'm not saying it makes it easy, but it makes it easier. The thing about this part of my life with Shine Bright is that I'm here on behalf of myself. I'm Daniel Smith of Daniel Smith. Like I'm telling the stories that I want to tell about the Black women that I'm choosing. And I'm telling my story as it relates to them. And I've worked very hard for, as you mentioned, for that weave to be as seamless as possible. 
I don't think there's any spoilers to be given away at the end of Shine Bright, but I do think that I was not feeling this good about myself before I wrote Shine Bright. I definitely am feeling better now, even though in some spaces it was awful to write down these mm. most personal things. It was awful. A lot of tears, a lot of tears. But then you wake up and it's in the world and you are reminded that you are not alone. Yeah, it, it's so interesting to hear you say, because of course I know your resume, like so many of us know your resume, but I don't feel like you need any other brand attached <laughs> to your name. Like you are Danielle Smith, right? Yeah. But I think it is the disconnect between like how we often see ourselves and how the rest yes. of the world sees us. It's often not congruent. Absolutely. And it's just interesting for me even to talk about it. I think so many things, I have a very tight relationship with my husband and my husband who would literally, it'll be 17 years next month. So, I mean, I think I thought he knew all that there was to know about me and vice versa. And we have a thing that we do when he's writing or when I'm writing well, where we will read the other person's work aloud to them. So you can hear it in a quote unquote, like stranger's voice without your intonations. It's a really a good editing trick. And Elliot would be reading and he would get emotional. And he would say, cause I met him when we were both working journalists. And he would say, I just always thought you were so completely and in every way confident in every move that you made. And I said, I got you, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I got everybody because so much of our lives are performance. And I'm not saying that it was complete performance, but you know, you wake up in the morning and you say, or at least I did, I am this person. I know I am good at this. I know I am going to do good work today. And that is how I'm going to move through this day. But you know, that might be a Monday. On Tuesday, you might wake up like everything that I do was a mistake. I don't make good decisions. I don't know if I can trust my own creativity. I think people at the job don't trust my expertise. Also, I just don't think I look cute in this outfit. <laughs> and you still have to go up there and act as if none of that is true. And I'm very, very good at that. And mm -hmm. it's kind of more relaxed now that I can even say that aloud to folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I think that's true for so many of us as Black women, right? Like, we got to put on the face. We got to put on the uniform, Always. right? Like, and go in the office and take care of business as if the world is not falling apart outside. Yes, yes. It's not just it's not just either like you could say that my jobs have been somewhat glamorous, right? I have a niece who worked the front lines that she took time off school during the pandemic working at Target. She's a real genius of a girl. And she had to put on that armor to go up there. My sister, her mother teaches first, second, third grade, and she loves it. And she has to put on her armor to go up there even now. And she loves being a teacher, but it's hard sometimes just to be us. Yeah, it feels like incredibly impactful having this conversation in the moment we're having it, right? So we're kind of fresh off this Man. massacre in Buffalo. And so it feels like that like point hits home. You know, to kind of just be us in the world, grocery shopping is not even safe. And here's the thing. I remember when I first started getting like a paycheck that allowed me to be in the grocery store and just to get the stuff that I actually wanted and not necessarily the stuff that I felt that I needed and that I had to have my coupons together and I needed to make sure that it was going to stretch from this day to this week or whatever. But I could really just go into the grocery store and just say, you know what? I usually get ground beef. I'm going to get ground lamb. I just want to make me some lamb burgers. Or I usually get these napkins that are on sale, but these napkins are particularly pretty. They're only 45 cents more than the napkins that I usually get. And I'm going to get those. And I just literally feel that for a lot of people that don't come from money, Grocery shopping, it's a moment where it can be so filled with stress and worry. You know, I picture these women that I see their photos that were killed. You know, they look like my grandmother before she passed. And, and I know for my grandmother, she enjoyed it. I'm going to make some eggnog. Let's run down to the store. And so that's what these people were on, these women. Mostly it seems like women were on just down there getting some food, probably to make for other folks. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, today is a heartbreaking day. Yeah, yeah. 
Agreed. The grocery store. Yeah. You know that way so many black women, it's kind of a joke where it's like, love Target. Just like Mm -hmm. to walk the aisles and look at things. And maybe it's an hour and a half away from the responsibilities of home or work. A moment where you can have your little Starbucks and you can walk through and say, oh, I didn't know that those pajamas came in pink. I think let me just touch those or maybe buy those. I don't know if they're sacred spaces, but they are spaces where when it isn't rushed and when everything isn't about stretching every penny as far as it can go. It can be such a space of like, I'm in here by myself. I can breathe. And then that. Right. It's a tough day. Yeah. More from my conversation with Danielle after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in stores to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. 
How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again, and happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. So you talked earlier about feeling like you came out of the book writing process in a different place, in a better place mm-hmm. than you went into it. What was it about the process of going through the book writing that allowed you to kind of come out on a different place? A couple of things. I'm very adamant about the stories that I tell about Aretha Franklin's life, Jody Wiley's life, Nancy Wilson's life, Mariah's life. I'm very adamant to not speak about these women in summary. I'm very adamant about speaking about the details of these women's lives. So I don't take on each woman from cradle to grave, as they say. I pick certain moments or certain years or even certain songs and just get very deep into that. And I wanted to give myself that same courtesy. I didn't want to speak about myself in summary. I didn't want to speak about my story talking around things. I wanted to give myself the respect of telling my stories in detail and just getting it out. I've talked about the incidents of my life with counselors over the years. I've written about the things that have happened to me as a child and as a teenager and in my 20s in every creative writing class that I've ever taken. The people in my MFA program know me better than a lot of folks. But even in those spaces, I was talking around things. It was talking about things in detail, doing reporting and researching on my own life. Just giving myself that respect. Having a There's a fact checker that checked every fact in Shine Bright. They also check every fact about my life. They did. Sabrina Ford is a monster. And she would call me and say, you said that such and such a year was the year that you experienced your first 80 degree Christmas in Los Angeles. And I say, yeah, girl, I always remember that. I was riding my bike on Christmas day. I didn't know anything about that in the sunshine. She said, well, what year was it? And I said, well, I think it's 75 or 76. So she went to the almanac to make sure. So that kind of attention I have been paying to the stories of other women and people and artists since I started my career. So it was time for me to turn that lens on myself. And I think it just makes me feel better. I feel like I've paid attention to myself. Yeah, that sounds both incredibly rewarding, but also incredibly scary. (laughs) Right? To like go through yourself and have other people, right? Like go through the fine tuned details with that kind of accuracy feels like excruciating, but also beautiful. It, it is. And I'm happy that I had such a partner in Sabrina because, you know, it's touchy moments. Yeah. It's touchy moments. I mean, she had to call. Remember, she had to speak to my aunt, my mother's sister, about some things. And it was like, am I really about to give her my aunt's phone number? <laughs> am I really about, to, you know, and I'm very lucky that my aunt was like, what do you need to know? What do you need? Yes, that. No, that didn't. Yes, that did. No, that didn't. And she got so into her story being told. She was a beauty contest contestant in all black beauty pageants in Northern California when she was in her late teens and early 20s. And like that is the kind of thing that also just doesn't get talked about. Right. It's so 
raggedy in some ways because you had to be a certain lightness of skin to be in these pageants. And then for the women who were light-skinned enough to be a part of it, though, they remember these pageants like the most beautiful moments of their lives. And I talk about both sides of it as I am here. And I was happy that my aunt was open to talking about it like that. So we hadn't had that conversation. Not every story ends as beautifully as the one I just said about my aunt. And there's been tough moments, too. But I just feel better that things are out there. Mm-hmm. So as I hear you talking about it, I mean, I definitely Mm -hmm. feel like you're bringing the material to life in a way that I feel like is captured on the page, but not Mm -hmm. as eloquently, I think, as as you are, of course, speaking to you in person. (laughs) And so as a psychologist, I'm thinking, how did you support yourself through giving birth to this book and bringing it into the world? Like, how are you taking care of your mental health and prioritizing your mental health in the process of writing? Super intentional. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a a depressive and have been so since I was in my teens. I go in and out of depressive states almost my entire life since I was like yeah, nine or 10 years old. And so in and out of counseling, I started going really as an adult intensely in my, my mid thirties. It's always been a great help to me. And I should say too, off the rip that my husband and I are always in counseling and we found our counselor in Los Angeles through therapy for black girls. Sure we did. And she is, fantastic. I had a therapist and then I just began to say, I need some goals for therapy. Like I can't just be coming to therapy to say how my day went or why it made me feel good or not, or always to be looking back on the terrible time of my teenage years and my tween years. And so what my personal counselor and I came up with was I wanted to be the kind of speaker that could talk about my story, the most really heinous parts of my tween and teen years without breaking down. This was the goal because that would always happen to me and it would be very embarrassing for me. And it kept me also from doing the kind of public speaking that I do now all the time on Songbook and even here talking with you. So we just did a lot of work I mean, I'm not going to bore with the details of the exercises and things like that, but it helped me so much over the course of and just being able to have someone to talk to about what I was doing and how I was doing it and how it was making me feel. And something that she reminded me to do also was to there's so much mourning about that part of my childhood that I just didn't really get to have. So she's like, you just have to entertain that child, like entertain that child. So I took that seriously. So I've always loved riding my bike. But, you know, in New York, I couldn't do it as much. But now that I'm in California, let me tell you, I'm always on my bike. This was the joy of my childhood and the freedom of my childhood. And I'm always on my bike. I be buying little outfits to wear on my bike. I got to have the right little lights for my bike. I just got a new lock for my bike. It's lighter than the other lock, so it's not so heavy on my back when I'm riding. And it gives me so much space away from thinking about all of this stuff, even the other women's lives that I love writing about so much. So those were the things I think, being in counseling, I'm blessed to have a supportive partner. It's a, it's a blessing in my life. And he's my second husband, so I haven't always had that. And movement, specifically the bike, I think, has kept me sane. Hmm. I love that. I love that both she assigned that to you, but that all you have also (laughs) taken your assignment so seriously (laughs) of nurturing that little girl and giving her the freedom and fun Mm -hmm. that you feel like you didn't have. I think that's important. It is fun. Yeah. It is fun. It, It really is. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I really enjoy just observing you from afar, Danielle, is the sisterhood that it feels like you really cultivate, I think, especially with like younger journalists and also I think younger artists. And I'd just love for you to talk a little bit about, if you can, like how working with other women and telling the stories around other women has really helped you to kind of make sense of your own career and relationships. I mean, without question, it's been a journey, and I don't know if I was as good at it when I was younger, maybe as I am over the last 15 years, 
But one thing that I've never liked is just being like the only person. I don't like when there's women that I see that have so much talent, and usually they're Black women, but not even all the time, who they're spectacular writers say, but no one has ever really told them that they have the skills to be an editor or to be in a leadership position, or maybe I can just talk to you about the things that you could do to become an editor or to become whatever is the next step in what you're trying to do. This brings me an intense amount of joy. Also, I don't have kids. We don't have kids. And so I think also it's just so much fun to see somebody like improve. It's so much fun to see somebody yeah, unable to do something, you know, at the top of a year. And then by the end of the year, they get it, they can do it. And I've helped. It's really a joy. And I also just like the kids because they know what's going on now. I don't like to feel out of touch. I don't. I just don't. I was talking about my niece. I can say the same for my nephew. And I call some of my, I call them my baby girlfriends and I shouldn't, but that's what I call them. And most of them are in their late twenties, thirties, and some now going on in their forties and they go out. I still go out, but not like I used to. I'm going to go to the shows, but they're at the club, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know what's going on. And so it's an awesome exchange, really. And I think it makes for rich relationships. And I think I have just things to offer. I've been in a long marriage now. A lot of women that I know, my baby girlfriends, they're either newly married or in new partnerships or they're looking for partnerships that you know they want to see grow. And I have my little advice for good, better. Otherwise, I'm not a, you know, a therapist properly, but I have my, my little, just things that I know from experience. And I don't like Black women who have no one to talk to when they are ambitious. I love to see ambition in Black women and women in general. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it can make me feel old, but that's really only about 10 to 15% of the time. It really is because I really just love it too much. Like to listen to like the producers and stuff on Black Girl Songbook and they're trying to get to the next stage of their life. And I could see in their face that same kind of energy that I had when I was their age. So the idea that one wouldn't help, that's trifling to me. I could almost just say too, like, I just wasn't raised like that. I want people to succeed. I want their creativity to be fulfilled. I want them to know better how to deal with situations than I knew how to deal with them. And to me, it just seems like it's only fair and only right. And like I said, they're fun. They put me up on all the gossip. They teach me how not to text like I'm an old lady. You know what I'm saying? It's good. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it just feels like there's so much iconic work that you have put out into the world. But I'm also Mm -hmm. aware that at the time you were doing it, you were one of few, if not only. Right. Like, you know, there weren't very many sisters doing the kinds of things that you were doing. And so in some ways, it kind of feels like a paying forward, but probably also a I wish I had this. Oh, man, do I? And I had some of it. You know, I had some uh, great women in my life. And I I had, honestly, a bunch of white males, some black males. I had people to help me along. But once you get past the part of writing about culture in the early 90s, back when hip hop wasn't accepted as the dominant cultural force that it is today, when in fact... We were being told that it was a fad and it would never last and it wasn't real music and it wasn't worthy of critique or celebration or anything. Man, listen, some of those days were terrible. It was like every meeting you went into, you were explaining the whole history of Black music to get somebody to give us a third of a page on Oak Town's 357 or something like that. So do I wish I had somebody like me back then? Of course I do, but I think I had a whole bunch of people that gave me a little bit. It equaled up to a lot. I talk about some of them in Shine Bright. You know, there was a Black woman at Vibe, Diane Carwell, who really just, you know, sometimes it isn't that a person has to be in your life every day for years. If a person is in touch with your spirit and your ambition, even if it's over the course of 
the creation of one magazine piece. It was a piece about MC Hammer from my hometown. And she assigned it to me at 6,000 words. I had never written anything, I think more than maybe 3,000. That's a leap. You have to keep so much together. Really getting from word one to word 6,000, it is a leap in expertise. And I remember Diane just telling me, you're not going to have a problem with it. And I was like, no, but I think I am, though. (laughs) I think I am going to have a problem with it. And she said, you know how to tell a story. You are going to be fine. I remember that as if it was yesterday. I filed it, I think it's 7,300. And you see how I remember these numbers because it's a moment. I think we got it down to 64, and I was mad for the cuts. <laughs> <laughs> After thinking I couldn't get there. Like, those kind of statements are so priceless. Like, especially again, if you come from a background where it doesn't have to necessarily even be abusive. Maybe people just thought whatever that you're going into isn't a smart idea. Maybe you want to be a painter and they want you to be a, a teacher. Maybe you want to join the armed forces and they want you to, you know, stay home and work the family business. It can be any situation. So when you have that person that just co-signs your energy, it's priceless. Mm-hmm. So I try to do I do try to give that back when I can. Yeah. More from my conversation with Danielle after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood, 
O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Are you ready for a family vacation you will never forget? One where anything is possible? If so, it's time to plan your getaway to sunny Orlando. Orlando really is the ultimate family destination. It's time to break out the matching bedazzled t-shirt, dust off your go-to dad jokes, and prepare for exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, and fresh new dining experiences, and so much more. Of course, you know that Orlando is the theme park capital of the world, with 15 of the world's top theme parks and water parks all in one place, and beyond the parks, there is also excitement and family fun around every corner. If you're ready to plan an epic Orlando vacation, but you're not sure where to start, you can talk one-on-one with one of their Visit Orlando vacation planners. In Orlando, anything is possible. If you can imagine it, plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. So how do you think that the way that we talk about Black women in music has changed since you started writing, like across your career? And how do you think your podcast and the book have contributed to that? It's not good the way it is now, but it's better. That's for absolutely sure. There's more of us. I'm a part of a group of women right now, and I think men, too, writing about Black culture and particularly Black music in ways that hasn't been written about in the past. It just hasn't. When I think about what Clover Hope is doing with her mother load about the Black women in hip-hop, when I think about what Dr. Daphne Brooks is doing with Liner Notes for a Revolution, talking about what Black feminism sounds like. When I think about Donnie Walton, who wrote this experimental fiction called The Last Revival of Opal and Nav, it's like a fictional piece of journalism about this great group that never actually really existed in real life. But you definitely walk away feeling like it that duo did exist. And so it is different. You have Dream Hampton doing the work and, you know, in other ways, like the, the great work she did with documentary around Robert Kelly, Joan Morgan's When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost is still a classic. It's a lot of people out here, the people that I should name that I'm that aren't coming to my head at this moment, but it is better. Do I want more? Do I want better? But yes, like, Yes. I'm not mentioning Sylvia O'Bell, Kelly Carter. There's a lot of people. And I'm just talking about Black women right now. Mm-hmm. So it's better, but it's not as good as it could be, especially quantity-wise. The quality is there because we're all impassioned. So many of us believe in like research and rigor and reporting, and the passion is there. Because a lot of times I think as a journalist of color, you're always being something of an advocate. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I never have. But yeah, I want more. And Songbook does contribute to the conversation. I think it does. Shine Bright is contributing to the conversation. And, you know, I like, too, the fact that with with Songbook, I'm so used to writing and editing. I'm so used to that way of doing things. And I do know that I'm really good at it. So it's really wonderful to be a beginner in audio with Songbook and have to learn. I can think of Taj Rani, who's a story consultant on Songbook, Trudy Joseph, who used to work with me at ESPN, who's the producer of Black Girl Songbook. And I learned so much. And I've known Taj since she was an intern at Vibe. I know Trudy from when she was an intern at ESPN's The Undefeated. So these women know me. They inspire me. I feel comfortable being vulnerable around them and not knowing things. I have to always remind them, you could tell me I said something stupid. Hello. If it was stupid, say that. And they're like, it was stupid real soft. I'm like, that's (laughs) not how we say it was stupid. But, you know, that part of it is wonderful. And then there's other ways that I want to make sure that as long as I'm working this hard and I do love to work, that I branch out even further. 
I love the page. I love the the, the computer screen, but there's other stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a sneak peek of the other stuff? Yes, I absolutely can. Documentaries. A Shine yes. Bright documentary? Similar themes. Oh, yes, you heard absolutely. It here first. Yes, it's like, come on, let's go. It's like, <laughs> let's go. These are like these are things that I've been thinking about for years and been scared, and just been scared. Scared of what? Not being as good at it as I am at other things. Mm. Leaning into the mean voices of my childhood, saying, "You have enough." Nobody's that smart. You can't know more than two things at the same time. Those voices can get loud still on some days. Yeah. But it's lovely to to feel the feedback that I've been receiving so far by Shine Bright. And we have legions of enthusiastic Black Girl Songbook fans. And I always tell people I have been very serious about not saying when people send me a note on Twitter or something, they liked an episode or something saying, thanks for your support. Because it isn't support to me as much as it is encouragement. So I try to say that. Thank you for your encouragement. When people say a kind thing about Shine Bright as well, or really about anything, because for me, that's how I receive it. I appreciate that you bought my book. I do. But I even read that as encouragement. It is encouragement. It says, Danielle, do more, go further. Mm-hmm. I like that reframe. It feels important. Mm-hmm. So what excites you about the ways that Black women artists specifically are being covered now and kind of telling their own stories? That's a big question. One thing that I really like, especially coming from the magazine world of yesteryear, is I love the selfies and everything that spins off from that. I love the fact that so many Black women have control of their image in that way. I love that it's not a Black woman standing passively in front of a photographer who used to be usually male and sort of mean to lean to the left, lean to the right, smile, don't smile, poke your boobs out, poke your ass out, no, poke your butt back in, put your breasts down, cover them up. And I've been that person on set. And in retrospect, it feels very controlling of the person, the subject that we're all gazing at. And I remember when selfies first became very popular, so many men or more conservative men or even conservative women acted like it was so conceited or vain or silly, just like it was when, remember when all the girls were wearing the flower crowns? Mm Mm-hmm. And it was like, why are they doing that? It's so silly. It's so this, that, and the other. And I pretty much came to a quick conclusion that it was revolutionary. And I love it. And the tendrils go out. It's Cardi on the cover of Vogue looking like Cardi. When 15 years ago, Black women weren't even on the cover of Vogue. And everyone forgets this. I write about it in Shine Bright, how Beyonce was told at the beginning of her career, when she said she wanted to be on the cover of Elle or Harper's Bazaar or Vogue. And they were just, the publicists were telling the truth when they said that's just not a kind of thing that really happens. We can try, but it doesn't. And then I see Cardi or Lupita on the covers. It's just a matter of course, looking like themselves. This brings me, it just brings me joy. And I'm old enough to look at it and say, it just literally did not used to be this way. You used to walk by all the magazines at the bookstore or at the grocery store, cash register where the magazines are. And you would literally, unless it was Essence or Ebony or Vibe or Latina, you just wouldn't see any Black faces. It's one of the reasons I got into doing what I do. So to see it now, when I go by a bookstore that still has a magazine rack and I see all the different shapes and sizes of Black women and women of color on the cover of these magazines, let me tell you the happiness. (laughs) It's not perfect and it's not where it should be, but it's so much better than it was. Yeah. 
So you talked a little bit about the advice that you give to your baby girlfriends. I would love if you can share just some general advice for anybody who may be checking out the conversation, who maybe is interested in getting into the music industry, either as an artist or like a journalist like yourself. What kinds of things would you want to share with them? I know we're living in pandemic times and I know all of our social lives have been impacted by this. But I think if there's ways to in real life, place yourself around other people that have similar goals, similar ambition, even if their goals are different than yours, so that you guys can just vibe together and encourage each other, work together. You may have you know, a friend that wants to be a business manager. You have another friend that wants to be a photographer. You have another friend that wants to be a singer, another friend that wants to be a rapper. You have another friend that just wants to make sure all the friends get along, probably the most important friend. Get together. Wherever y'all get together and talk it through, have fun, go to shows, support artists that are trying to make it, try to get backstage, say thank you, and you'll soon find yourself. Then you get start getting invited to things. And then when you're not there, people start wondering where you are. Then next thing you know, you're getting booked for things. And then when you get booked for something and they say, oh, well, do you have any photographs? All you have to do is say yes, even though you don't, because you know you have a friend that's a photographer. You can try to get that money and pay her expenses. Next thing you know, you're both getting booked at something. Like to me, this kind of thing still happens and it still works. You don't have to be isolated and in a silo. It's risky. Yes. Somebody might actually say to you, I don't like what you're making. I think that's ugly. Why are you doing that? You should just get a real job. When you have the support of your community, you can cry to them about that. You can be emotional with them about that and keep going. So my best advice is like, get a community around you that just really wants to lift you up and support you. On top of that, you have to take a hard look at the people that are around you already. I know I did and still do. You have to assess who's bringing goodness into your life. And this is just my opinion, but if someone is not bringing goodness into your life, if you feel like every word out of their mouth is a slick comment that you you can't quite put your finger on that it's 100% an insult, but somehow you still feel terrible, it just might be time to just maybe loosen those bonds a little bit. Or don't be like me because I be cutting people off. But I'm just <laughs> saying, y'all take your time. And I've, and I've learned to do that, though. And it's difficult and it's painful for me, but it's what works for me. I'm not a gradual type of sister, but I think it is better to loosen things slowly so that you're sure that you're doing the right thing. But don't endure pain because you think you ought to live your life. That feels very important. It feels like great advice for us to consider. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Of course. Of course. I'm having so much fun with you. Honestly. I'm so, so thrilled you were able to chat with me today. So where can we grab our copy of Shine Bright and how do we continue to support you and stay connected to you for these new exciting things that you'll be premiering? Oh, that is such a good question. Well, if you want to read Shine Bright on paper, you can just go to your local bookstore, walk in. They're going to be happy to see you. Go in there. And even if my book isn't there, which it usually is, ask for it. That always makes me look good. Also, you can download it as an audio book. And guess who's narrating? You can hear more of this little scratchy voice that you hear right now. Super emotionally and passionately reading Shine Bright to you, talking about all of your favorite Black women stars of today and yesterday. Black Girl Songbook is available now, not just on Spotify, but any place that you go to listen to your favorite podcast. And I'm always at the socials doing the most, doing too much and yet not enough. And I'm Danamo. I'm mostly on IG and Twitter. And it's D-A-N-A-M-O. And I'm usually over there posting some foolishness. So do join me there, too. I love it. And as an OG Relationship Goals listener... Are we, are we, listen, listen, I'm serious when I say I've been paying attention. (laughs) Oh my God. Wait till I tell Elliot. He's going to feel so conceited all day. He's going to feel conceited all day. (laughs) Are we ever going to see any, you know, pop-up shows from the Relationship Goals podcast? You know, we really need to. He tries to act like just because he has like a fancy job and stuff that he don't have time. 
for relationship goals, but we really have to get back on. I think we need to just make it a goal. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to just make it a goal. We usually make goals at the top of the year, like so many of us do, and we need to make it a goal because people did enjoy it. it was and very fun. and we had fun doing it. We really was two fools together on that show. <laughs> two fools together. We have to take a look at it. I'm glad you asked that. That makes me feel really good. I'm taking that right to Elliot when I get off of this call. Oh, so if there's a new season, y'all have me to thank for it. You're welcome. Right? Yes, I love it. I love it. We would be on there just talking about the most ridiculous things ever. But a good mess. Good conversation yes. starters, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Danielle. I'm so, again, just so thrilled to have this time with you and to be able to share about your new project. Oh, Dr. Joy, you are a joy. I know I'm not the first person to say it. Thank you so much. And I know people maybe do thank you all the time for the great work that you've done and that you continue to do. But I'm going to reiterate that we found our counselor through the work that you do. And we are appreciative of you, of the site, of just the way you've made therapy not seem like a topic that's not to be brought up and all of these things. So It meant so much to me to receive this invitation. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so glad Danielle was able to share her expertise with us today. To grab a copy of her book or to check out her podcast, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 261. And be sure to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode right now. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Dennison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. 
They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.